myself a drink here, but uh, the too much foam everywhere. Bad pour. Ashamed. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You're at home. Nobody can watch. Nobody can see you. <laughs> Welcome to episode 35 of Stories from a Bar, uh, virtual edition today. I'm your host, Chris Osborne, and for this episode, I am chatting with Jack McGarry. Did I say that right? You did, yeah, you did. Excellent. Co-founder of the Dead Rabbit Grocery and Grog in Lower Manhattan. How are you, sir? I'm hanging in there, the same as everybody else, I guess, at the moment. It is, uh, like I said, first off, thanks for taking the time to do this. I greatly appreciate it. I'm sure you're a busy guy, and I know we've been back and forth on trying to get something set up for a while, so I'm excited it's finally happening. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Oh, and let me apologize if you see me... Uh, just looking sideways constantly. It's just my notes are to the side. <laughs> so it's <laughs> no problem I mean, to give you a heads up. So it doesn't look like I'm not paying attention or anything like that. The original plan, of course, was to meet no back in December. And of course, things got a little busy that time of the year. We had to reschedule. Uh, we were going to try to reschedule for yeah. something in like April or March. And then, of course, the whole COVID thing happened and just everything went from, you know, 100 miles an hour to zero. <laughs> And I'm. it doesn't take much prodding for me to take a trip down to the city. <laughs> but uh, like I said, every, everything just shut down. And But we are finally here in September getting a chance to chat, albeit on Zoom. And like I said, I'm super excited. A couple shout-outs I definitely need to make first. Uh, I like to always shout-out a New York brewery that I'm drinking. And uh, actually, for this time, I got a beer. Just so happened the timing worked out well. I got a beer from Downstate's LIC Beer Project over in Queens. Uh, I'm drinking their oh, Coated Tiles. Cool. Yeah, drinking their Coated Tiles Pale Ale, which is absolutely delicious. So a big shout out to them. We don't get a lot of, uh, I live upstate in the Albany area, and I, we get occasional drops of their stuff around, but uh, I was surprised to just stroll yeah. through the supermarket and saw this one. So I had to grab it. And of course, a second shout out goes to uh, a common acquaintance of ours, Damien. And I'm not going to lie, I don't know how to pronounce his last name <laughs> back in belfast <laughs> uh, oh, magger m-a-g-e-r i think it's spelled. oh sorry damien mcgur yeah yeah, that's yeah it. i used to work with da- yeah mcgur i used to work with damien at uh, lodge when i was oh 15 16 so so that's how you guys knew each other yeah, so he he was a bartender uh, in my first job. Uh, so he, as I said, that would have been, I'm 31 now, so that would have been 16 or so years ago. Um, yeah, and he was, he was a great, great, great bar poser where we, uh, where we, where we met. Yeah, I, uh, I met Damien, well, I'm 37. I was probably 10 or 12 when I had actually met him because uh, he was part of the, I forgot what, Project Children program in Ireland there where they were sending large groups of kids to the States for the summer to, you know, live with host families and get them kind of out of the area while there was, I know there was fighting and stuff going on. I was certainly too young to understand what was happening. It was just summer would roll around and I knew I had a friend from Ireland coming to stay with us. (laughs) (laughs) So I actually done something similar to that, but I was with a different group called Taranal. So that was in, uh, in West Belfast. So I spent my summers, I think it was like Grove uh, when I was in my my uh, young teens, and I, I spent the summer in uh, the summer. Where was it? You were in the states then when you would come over? Uh, Philadelphia. Oh wow! I actually haven't been to Philly. Yeah, so it's one it was of good those fun. I actually haven't been to Philly. It's one of those states or cities I'd love to check out, but obviously uh, can't do that right now. Yeah, I've, de- I've always heard yeah, also. It's, it's a great great spot. Like I said, I remember him coming over, and I remember having a lot of fun trying to get him to say stuff in the Irish accent. I think uh, <laughs> mostly mostly aluminum at the time, which was hysterical if you know you're a ten year old and that's your first experience talking to someone with that heavy of an accent. Yeah, so what that the same me when I came over, it was uh, I was made to say say words and uh, to show that I actually came from Ireland. I I definitely uh, can share that experience with him. <laughs> it's it's interesting like i said i was too young to understand you know the infighting and things going on in ireland at the time what was it like growing up in belfast with all that 
Um, so I was fortunate. I sort of came in and in the back end. So the Good Friday Agreement was signed in 1998, being nine years old. Um, so there, I, I, I lived through a lot of the, the segregation and uh, and a lot a lot of the, the violence, but it was much worse for generation than it would have been for, for, for mine. Um, so I, I was I was spurred the worst of it. But the city, at the, even at that, that, that young age, and, and, and might be insular and, and isolated, where when you go back, when I go back to Belfast now, it's much more progressive and, and diverse. Um, I'm a, I'm a, it's a much more cultural, kind of vibrant city. Um, so it, it really has come on leaps and bounds. But getting, obviously, when I was younger to come to America, it was really great for me to see the... Uh, people live live their lives and the other opportunities that they were afforded and stuff like that so it was definitely a experience for sure and it, most of those programs are, are facilitated or, or structured kids out of Belfast around July and that because that's where we're, we're a lot of the pro home um so it was uh I, I thoroughly enjoyed my my run my, I'm sure Damien did as well Oh, yeah, I know. I remember him having a ball. Uh, I've also, I mean, I've heard a lot of things about Belfast. Fortunately, I've not been able to make a trip to the motherland, as I like to call it, <laughs> being Irish yeah. myself. <laughs> uh, Belfast has always sounded great. And I, it's funny, though, I've gotten to the point where I'm hearing people that, of course, go, they love it. But if you want a real, uh, like, Irish country experience, visit other towns, because Belfast is like the, just the main tourist attraction now. Yeah, well, I mean, you could say the same could be said for uh, Dublin and Belfast. You know, they're 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 bigger city. Obviously, Dublin's a much bigger city, but uh, they're 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 big cities. I would still advocate. Yeah, was... well, Dublin particularly would be a much would be a much bigger advocate spending three to four days there because you're still going to get there's a lot of rich and a lot of fantastic, uh, very old pubs and restaurants and a lot of mm. culture. There. If you are to properly experience Ireland, it's it's that I it's I, I always advise for people to get out and because you can get from the bottom of Ireland to the top of Ireland within six to seven. Um, whereas obviously in America, that's in a lot of places you're not even out of one state. So you it's it's brilliant to go go there, spend a week or two, and and just get as as much as as much as possible to take in the full breadth of the country. Yeah, it's uh, something that's definitely on my bucket list obviously now these days i have no idea when that'll happen i haven't really kept up on the news yeah. i th actually i think ireland was one of the first places to take the covid virus seriously and actually shut down bars i don't know how they've held up well they've started reopening sort of space where 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 the likes where you would be at right now they've, they've reopened indoor for uh for for venues that serve food they don't obviously but that the bit in there is there's a lot of bars in, in, in Ireland that don't serve food, so they're still completely closed. The infection rate seems to have stabilized there, but it looks like it's starting to tick, tick upward. I so uh, and they're they're starting to be very uh, they're starting to roll back as far as the last time I looked some of the the restrictions. So we'll we'll see. I guess it's a it's I think we're all we're all going to what this fall and winter looks like for 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 everyone. You know, because yeah. nobody really has an idea of how it's going to go. No, and um, well, we'll talk more about uh, the what the situation is down in the city in a little bit. Because I mean, I'm upstate and it's almost totally different than you know yeah. how it is down there. I, yeah. I always loved going down to the city. Like I said, it's only, I think it takes me just under three hours to get there on train, you know, depending on whichever train I catch and yeah. the stops and whatnot. So it never took me much, you know, prodding to go down there just to explore. I like to go to Ranger games. I was a big <laughs> hockey fan. And when I was down there in December, yeah. even though we didn't have a chance to meet, I did actually stop at the Dead Rabbit and had a couple pints and just an amazing burger for lunch, man. It was awesome. I sat yeah. in the parlor there. I, you know, it was a super cool environment. Of course, the sawdust on the floor, just pictures and history on the wall and things like that. And we, we had the bar uh, where we had the bar before we closed. It was the happiest we had, we had ever opened for seven years. So we we changed actually quite a lot. And the bar was, was performing excellently. People were very happy. We were delighted with the menus and the product. Obviously, coronavirus happened, you know, so it was one of those, one of those 
tails where uh your your hand and you get you get stopped completely in your tracks, you know. Yeah. And whenever I go down to the city, there's a couple spots I like to try to hit. Mainly McSorley's because that place is that's just always a fun time. Yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> I just you yeah. always meet interesting people there. And uh, I was chatting. I think one yeah. of the first times I went, we sat at a giant table with you know random strangers as you do there. One woman was telling me she was friends from yeah. the drummer from journey i think and she was going to his wedding wow. like out in seattle and kiss was going to be playing there i'm like this is insane and then i was talking to she was there visiting her daughter i or like daughter-in-law or something like that and then the daughter was telling me that she was there one day when colin farrell just came in stumbling drunk <laughs> I'm like, this, it's crazy yeah it's such yeah you, you hear those types of stories from uh i remember one of the times i was in mcsorley's uh, we were we were at at one of those tables uh, sharing it with someone, and we were sitting beside a, a, a famous and a, like an opera an operatic singer, and uh, he told me, and this is when I drank and he drank some me at that point, and he told me he was a tenor, so a singer, and I was like, I thought nonsense, and I was like, well, why don't you sing a song? And he got up and sung. Uh, some 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 famous song that I can't remember the exact exact words, but he sang it for operatic way, and the whole bar stopped and started singing with him. And in places in McSorley's, like McSorley's, were uh, that, that that like like a New York moment like that. I've I've heard so many stories, like even the one you're telling. It's just it's a bar that it's a, such an bar. Yeah, it's the uh, oh, oldest Irish pub in the city, uh, 1854, yeah. I think it was. And let's, I, one of my yeah. other favorite parts of it is just, what, what do you want to drink? What beer, light or dark? That's it. <laughs> like, simple. Yeah. It takes, <laughs> takes all the guesswork out of it. <laughs> and so, you know, I had lunch at the Dead Rabbit when I was there. It was actually the first time I'd have ever been down to the city in winter. I usually go in like spring or summer or fall. Yeah. So that was a fun experience for me, even though I didn't check out, you know, the giant tree in Times Square. I didn't realize they had a giant one right outside on Wall Street, which I walked all around and everything yeah. like that. But uh, yeah, I ended up checking out the Dead Rabbit, which was awesome in the parlor. Uh, like I said, great burger. Then I went to McSorley's and then up, uh, I don't know if it's considered the Upper East Side, but the Pony Bar up there, uh, a nice craft, a pretty awesome yeah. craft beer place yeah. that was recommended to me. And because then it sounds like you had some trip. Yeah, yeah. It was uh a quick ride home when I fell asleep on the train. <laughs> let's uh let's talk about the dead rabbit some because uh like I said, you are the co owner of it with another gentleman named Sean Muldoon, correct? Yeah, yeah. My business partner we came over here in the early two thousands to do open up Dead Rabbit and we and then uh two thousand thirteen. Uh, February 12th, 2013. Quite, it's been quite the ride. Yeah, just looking into it, it and, you know, just Google in the dead rabbit because sometimes I actually do research for these podcasts. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, it looks like you guys have clearly worked your asses off to build that up in an amazingly short amount of time, it seems like. And, you know, plus your prior accomplishments from that, from what I saw from international bartender of the year i believe you were the youngest to ever win that yep yeah we've done well we've done well we uh 2013 and we were fortunate that uh, a couple of months after we were open we won three awards, which included the international bartender of the year award um and we've obviously went on to win a, a whole other bunch more um and we're now in the stage of our like the bars it's it's not in those lists or on those awards anymore because it's done so well. So, but it's the the bars at a different phase, phase of its of its life now. So it's we're we're obviously involved in in uh in improving and and bettering the bar, um and we're now much much more focused on bringing Dead Rabbit to other cities that make sense in America. Um, but it's it's been a it's been a very intense crazy crazy ride. But uh we're we're still look at it as, as we're getting started. So how did you end up getting into the hospitality industry? So it's, I, it's, 
Hard way. Um, I was constantly asking my mother and father for a land of money. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, it was money that you were asking for a land of that did absolutely no use uh, of paying back. So my mom had enough of this when I was uh, when I was I think I was fifteen. I was looking for a pair of new shoes or, or something like that, and she uh, she said she she had a hat and she said that if I wanted to go and if I want really wanted the shoes or I really wanted anything that I um, and and get my own money. So that was when I was uh, there was a family connection on my that that had uh, that had people working in the bar industry and and he it was his cousin was the general manager of a bar that was right at the bottom of my street called the Hunting Lodge, um, which was in Belfast. So I was brought down by my father when I was 15 years old, and uh, and interviewed me for a uh, a gla- like a essentially a bar back like back home they call it a glass washer. So you're obviously your chief your chief focus. Just stocking, stocking bottles, stocking fridges, getting nice, keeping the floor clean, emptying out when people were smoking in bars. Um, so he gave me the interview, gave me the the remit, the gig, and 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 that's where I got started um, in in Haunting Lodge, and uh, that's actually when, as a as a as I said to you, so I I, I worked there for. A year and a bit, and then I wasn't around. He got opportunities to run other venues in in Belfast. He then led on to meeting, uh, getting involved with cocktails, which is which is a that part is a whole other story. But it was <laughs> I initially got into the industry to uh, just make money, and and accidentally fell in love with it. That's awesome. I was gonna because I was gonna ask at what point did you start thinking of trying to make a career in the hospitality industry? But it seems like it just came naturally to you. Yeah, so it did come naturally, but there was definitely a moment. I at, at, up until that point, I wanted to be a geography teacher, um, and I necessarily oh, wow. to go to yeah, it's very strange. But I, I idolized my geography teacher, and I, I thought that that's what I, I, I that's the life that I that I that. So, however, as as I got deeper in, I followed my cousin around a bunch of bar, bar in particular. It was called Cafe Vaudeville, um, which was in the city center of Belfast, and it was what people in Ireland would call a style bar. And a style bar essentially means that it looked better, it served slightly better food and and, and drinks. But they had brought a Australia to do the the drinks program, and in Cafe Vaudeville, it was a guy by the name of Mark Gopher, who's well known and. In, uh, in Australia and obviously globally for his work but and trained the bartenders how to make the drinks and uh, make the syrups and do the prep work and that and the other and that, and that was the first time I'd seen a cocktail bartender make drinks and I thought it was really cool but much of it until I went and worked in a bar in South Belfast called Pat and that's where I, I came across a guy by the name of Kieran Breen and he was a former pupil of Sean Muldoon partner um, and he he set up the program there and actually introduced me to Sean Muldoon of this thing called the Connoisseurs Club, which was set up by Sean at the Merch. Uh, he worked at the Merchant Hotel at that point. But basically, his whole thing was to bring the best in the world, the Belfast, to speak to our staff and and speak to customers. And uh, that that included Petrotsky, Gary Reagan, Audrey Saunders, Dale DeGroff, like the who's who. Uh, like I was at the front of these sessions scribbling down the notes and it was really during those connoisseurs clubs where I was uh there was very much a career in this if you'd done an at an at an elite elite level. And in order to do it at that elite level in Belfast I had to go and work with Sean Muldoon my neighbor and uh that would that end up coming to fruition through a lot of backwards and forwards about a year and then as as I say the rest is the rest is history, you know. Yeah, that is super impressive. There is just so much skill that goes behind, you know, making great cocktails and things like that, uh, obviously, as you know. And just talking to some of the, you know, drink mixers I've talked to. And I don't drink a lot of liquor myself. I'm more of a beer person. So when I do, (laughs) when I do make a drink, it's, you know, nothing overly sophisticated. But uh, I've just had some (laughs) amazing, I've had some amazing ones that have certainly blown my mind just, you know, watching, you know, a person do their art and things like that but yeah. uh, you mentioned of course before you came over and opened the dead rabbits 
did you at the Merchant Hotel in Belfast? Didn't you win world's best cocktail bar when you were there? Yeah, we did. So that actually is, that that was the kind of uh, the the catalyst for us actually coming. To be honest with you. So it was when we when I worked with Sean at the at the Merchant when I had just started and was at a stage where it was winning like national awards, but not it wasn't getting much international track. And when I came on board, Sean very much showed me the open the door for my knowledge building and point directions and showed me what world class looks like. But he then gave me the freedom in order to really grow in, the, in, in, in an organic way. And I then went on and purchased hundreds of books and, and studied in terms of I wanted to be the very, very best cocktail bartender in the world. I was able to greatly contribute to, to the bar program, which then freed Sean up the strategic stuff which which was obviously won in the worldwide award so our first effort at the global awards was in 2007 for three awards and we lost all three. Oh wow um and then we asked how do we like how do we win those awards like what do we need to do because we felt at that time last program and, and and we felt that it deserved recognition um so caters uh said if you want your bar to win you either have to bring your bar to the people and what he means either do pop-ups or, or guest bartender, guest bartending or residency like that, or bring your bring the judges to your bar. Um, and Sean obviously had this program club. And prior to that comment or, or that advice, we were very much focused on Europe's best speakers and Europe's best uh, minds to speak to the staff and the and the and the wider clientele. But after that, it was a pivot and, and, a, and a ring in American judges, particularly because we we looked at the story of the Irish coffee, um, and it was obviously invented in Ireland. But it was the it was the uh, Americans that made the Irish coffee such an iconic drink that it is today. Interesting. Um, so we believed if we if we got the Americans to, to see what we were doing, blow them away with our hospitality and our product offering, and, and and obviously Ireland, they would go back and spread the word. Um, and, and we instituted that change after the awards. And unfortunately enough, the following, the, we were nominated for the exact same in 2008. And we won every single one. And then 2009, we were nominated for awards. And we, uh, we, we had won that as well. And that was during that time is when uh, our angel had, uh, had, had appeared. And he had seen that there was starting to become a bit of friction between the hotel. The hotel was going on a much, they were adding an extension um, and it was going on a much more corporate direction. Mm-hmm. And we we were obviously, that's not what we wanted. So he, he basically said after we'd won the world's best, if we created a bar that he believed it wouldn't be here today, gone tomorrow in our he would make it happen and uh he lived in new york and he said let's let's do it in new york and sure enough sean my business partner he was the first one out he, i think he arrived over um of, of that year which would have been 2010 i arrived in in 2000 uh september of 2011 and then we got the bar open as i said the end at the beginning of 2013 we we went through sandy hurricane sand considerably yeah, um, but we got open at the beginning of of 2013. So, so that's the story. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys were planning the bar before you even came over to the states, right? Yep, 100. percent Yeah, we started planning as soon as we started speaking investor. We started planning like we had the name. We had a pretty like a pretty pretty fleshed out plan um, that became more and more fleshed out as we moved as we moved here. knew we knew from the get go what we wanted to do. Were there, I mean, I imagine it's super stressful starting a business anywhere. Is, uh, I mean, are there added levels of stress when you're trying to do it from another country? Yeah, certainly we got here fairly quickly, but that's not to say that the stress was mitigated and the naivety of, uh, and the night, I, I particularly naive, I think the, of the angel investor, um, was thinking that we would have had the bar open within six months. Um, and, and in new, and in New York, as you know, nothing, nothing of that type of magnitude happened at that level. Yeah. Um, or at that, at that, at that pace. So we, it ended up taking years. 
Um, so we spent the bulk of our time. We spent a bit of the time creating the concept in Belfast, but then it was obviously New York. And I think the New York was where the most difficulties happened because you're, you're gone. We were, we weren't making money. Um, we were working in, in jobs that were, I mean, in terms of just getting, because we weren't there for those jobs. We were there for the, the open the dead rabbit. Um, the money difficulties, the, the being away from family, the, the constantly lines and stuff like that. There was a lot of very dark days, um, but we both had absolute confidence to, and, and obviously the conviction necessary to, to see it through because we believed that it would, it would have a, a definitely a big impact on the, on the landscape of, of New York's Irish pubs and, and cocktail bars. Mm-hmm. How'd, um, how'd you guys end up coming up with the name or settling on the name dead rabbit? I mean, I know a little bit of the story of where it comes from, uh, ironically enough, from going to McSorley's. Yeah. I was chatting with the bartender, and he was pointing out news yeah. articles on the wall <laughs> I could read. I'm like, this, this, again, another reason I love McSorley's yeah. is just covered in paraphernalia and awesome articles and things like that. But it's, it's amazing. It's amazing, yeah. Yeah, the name came from uh, we, 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 when, when our angel investor said, to create your, 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 like, what's your idea of, 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 a, of your, of your boom perfect bar. We, we, there was two loves we had in terms of our own bars. We loved the high end cocktail bar that we obviously operated in the five star hotel in Belfast, which was the merchant hotel cocktail bar. Also loves the down and dirty Irish pub, which was, which is, which is prevalent obviously in, in, in it's its accessibility, it's inherent hospitality. Um, and when we came to the apple in our our own place, we wanted to. There, there seemed to be from from what we, particularly in that time of uh, the bar that we were up working in, um, and with our travels in New York, there was definitely a disconnect between uh, hospitality and cocktails. There seemed to be a lot of pretension and and that type of stuffiness and in cocktail bars, and we really wanted to shatter that. Um, and, and challenge that the status we wanted to bring together the, the hospitality of Ireland with world-class cocktails, so a pub are under one roof. So doing that, you can't just open a pub in a cocktail bar in New York City or, or, or anywhere really for that matter um, without it having, it, it, it has from a, from a, from a branding and, and strategy perspective. So we started looking into when, when does the cocktail movement and the pub Irish movement meet together in New York? I knew from the top line that you had the, the immigration, the, the extensive immigration from due to the potato famine from, from Ireland into America in the 1850. But then also coexisting with that, we also knew that Jerry Thomas wrote the first cocktail book. Uh, he wrote The Bartender's Guide in 1862. So we knew that there was something there, but we just needed him. And then it ended up being that when the, the immigrants arrived in New York, obviously they had to go through the Port Authority at that time, but they, they, they landed in Water Street or Lower Manhattan. Or the Water Street area where the bar sits on was, was dominated with McSorley's-type bars. Uh, it was dominated by immigrants. Even the Charles Dickens famously said it was the, one of the most violent streets in, in the entire continent. So coexisting with that um, and, and the pub, the Irish culture, the immigrant culture, you had the splendor of, of which had where Jerry Thomas was bartending, where Orson Willard was bartending, Chet Sterling, um, you had the, the first luxury hotel of, of, of New York, the, the City Hotel, uh, and the saloons. It was, so you had the, 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 the squalor and splendor coexisting. You had the Irish happening right in the same place. And we settled on the name, the Dead Rabbit. We wanted a name that expressed that pub pubness. We wanted it to be very pubby. Uh, you've heard, and there's a lot of Irish and, and English pub names like the Slaughtered or Slaughtered Hen or the Dead. Like there's, there's all those types. We wanted something that, that had that ability. Not something uh, I really thought of until you just said that. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's got that accessibility. So when we when we looked into we, we, we started to look into New York gangs um, and names of gangs and and uh, so Sean Sean was looking this up through through Google and up came uh, 
gang affinities, or I can't remember the exact term, but it was a list of identities of of, of those gangs in, in New York during forced the gang down. You had the Wyos, you had the Plug Uglies, you had a you had a bunch of other ones, the Barry. But the fourth one down was the Dead Rabbit. And uh and when we started looking into the Dead Rabbit, almost we loved the Dead Rabbit name. Um but when we started it's it had, had that it had that slaughter type type feel about it. But when we looked into it, there was a particular person who brought it all together. The, the one of the one-time leaders of, of the Dead Rabbit called John Morrissey, and he really uh, encompassed stories that we're telling. He came here. Uh, he came here when he was a kid, settled upstate in, in Troy in Quebec, but he came back down into New York City when he was 18 years old. Ended up getting involved in rackets and and ended up uh, becoming a, a leader of the Dead Rabbit. But he was a boxer. He went away as part of the, the, the 40s with the, the gold rush and, and came back and started gambling saloons in, in Lower Broadway, befriended the likes of Jerry Thomas. He founded the Saratoga. So he was really the person that brought together. He lived that Water Street pub pub element. So brought, he, he lived the, 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 the splendor because the, he became quite wealthy and he was all together. So that's the reason why we settled on the, the Dead Rabbit as a name because it was... It, it brought everything that we were trying to do together and made it one cohesive story. Interesting. I didn't know he had spent any time in Troy because that's the general area yeah. I live in, but it's like 20 miles to the west for me. It's like a 20-minute drive for me. Yes. But. So he spent, he, spent, he spent quite a bit. I think he, so he was in Quebec for a couple of months a year. So Sean is the one that had done a lot of research on, on John Morrissey particularly, but I believe he was three years old. He'd spent a couple of weeks or a couple of months in Quebec, but he had spent the majority in, in uh, his, his young life um, until he was 18 in, in Troy. And yeah, so he, he'd spent, he, he, he's got a lot and he's, Brave is I don't, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's in that area as well. I can't remember his grave. But it was such a long time ago. But Sean would be able to tell you those details. Fascinating. Uh, I mean, he's a he's a nerd with that type of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Funny. Uh, I'll have to look into that where he was in Troy because now I'm super curious about that. Yeah. You guys also kind of have a tagline, and uh, and I know this because you know it's on your website, and I took one of your coasters when I was there, so. <laughs> But born in a hurricane, <laughs> born in a hurricane, forged in a fire. I keep this coaster just in my desk. It's just randomly in my desk now. But yeah. uh, tell me a little bit about the born in a hurricane, forged in a fire uh, saying that you have, because that's fascinating too. And you guys have definitely gone through your share of shit in a short amount of time to, like I said, keep the place open. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it seems to be the the common denominator with Dead Rabbit is the adversity to have to. To I mean, I, every business is fraught with difficulty and adversity. So I don't I don't want to sit, sit here and sound like I'm, I'm saying that we're unique in that situation. But we, we we've had serious serious issues um in, in a in a condensed period of time. So even the time of getting the bar open, I alluded to was fraught with difficulty, and and uh we there was many times when it came. We were many nights we came close to pull, pulling the, the plug on it, but we 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 seen it through. But obviously, up until we we got open, we we were severely delayed um, with Hurricane Sandy. So that obviously that's where that's where the hurricane element, um, the fours in the fire. We had a fire in uh, a fire that the the kitchen um, early in the hours of July 2018. And that basically it was to do. We we had uh, serious uh, temp, heat, uh, a heat wave in, in New York, where four days in a row were above 100 degrees. What happened at the top of our grease trap? It had liquefied the grease, and it had come back down. It ignited as soon as it hit. Uh, we we make our own fries, so the guy was in early in the morning, and we we three times. Um, so he was doing the fries the first the first run, and basically the hit the liquefied grease and it just caught and it wow. basically went all the way up through and then came out the back of the building. So that's where uh, a lot of our electrical, like it's electrical was at that, at that, at that stage. So it, it pretty much toasted all the electrical components. And then they had to, to, to call the, the FDMY and 
the FDMY came in and obviously ripped down wall, water, like every, there was water everywhere. So there was just extensive damage. But we, we basically, we, we, again, any, any type of setback we have, we delves on and attack it with full vigor. So we were able to reopen, um, albeit without we, the hot food, addressing the hot food took us quite a few months to, to, to remedy that, um, reopen 18 days later. So it was, but it was, it was all contractors engaged. Like it was, it was full, full on, but we got back open 18, 18 days later, which I think most other places it would have taken them back open, you know? So, so yeah, we're very fortunate and obviously with this pandemic, so we'll have to re we'll have to add another, uh, another sentence to that, to that saying soon. <laughs> yeah. Let's see here. Born in a hurricane, fortune of fire survived through a pandemic. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's interesting being down for in that situation, uh, just based on your location, being down for any kind of significant amount of time, just because it seems like there's so many places in New York City that you could grab something to eat, get a drink, literally, I mean, you could do hit a different place yeah. every day and still not touch everything. Yeah. So I imagine it's, yeah. you know, uh, like a smaller city where, you know, you can rely on that business to come back, you know, as soon as you open again. So what's it? I mean, what's. I'm not used to that because, I mean, I live in Albany. There's a lot well, of great places. But, I mean, how do you set yourself apart in that kind of environment? So our, our, our thing has always been to bring the Irish pub into the 21st century. And what, I, what we mean by that, we, when we first arrived in New York, well, first and foremost, in Ireland, Irish pubs are up to date with current, current trends or, or particularly when it comes to talking about the, the, the movement. Um, you go into a lot of pubs in Ireland, and this has obviously changed quite drastically in the past years. But a lot of the pubs were they, they didn't do mixed drinks. They weren't really recognizing movement. They they weren't recognizing the the Irish whiskey, uh, our our own native spirit. Um, they didn't do food. You know, there was just a lot of things operationally that they did. They, 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 they were very, for me, they were very uh, regressive and and uh, stagnant. They were still authentically themselves for sure but as a as a complete opposite of that we came to to america and irish bars had no city you know you go to times square and you, particularly those ones in times square but again they're all over the city and indeed all over this country um they're they're what i would call they're they're mcfakes or, or you know they're just not real <laughs> versions of 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 irish bars they they have a, a an Irish type name, maybe a flag outside, and and they, and everything else about it is terrible. We really wanted to challenge the status quo. First, that an Irish bar can be current. Like we were reading all types of articles at that stage, and 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 these articles still come out essentially saying as the head. Um, so we wanted to challenge that. We wanted to show that it was current, but we also wanted to show that fantastic. It could be of a of a of an unreal quality. Um, so that's really what we use ourselves. We, we go all in with four key aspects. Now we under our facts. So it's, it's our food. We do everything is, is made in house. It's fresh. We don't frozen. Um, and we do aim to do great serves of dishes that make sense of contact. So obviously you talked about the burger, which is more American than, than it is. Uh, but We've got our pot pies, we have sausage rolls, scotch egg, our, our fries are made in-house, as I said. So we, we specialize and we focus on that. We focus on being authentic. The pictures on, on the walls are, we've commissioned photographers to go around Ireland and, and take those pictures that you can just pull from 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 Google. Um, and we have a lot of amazing art that like we, we have stuff that's from the movie Gangs in New York that were proper uh, pieces of, 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 of the movie. Um, oh really? So we're yeah. So we yeah. So we've we've stopped authentic to us. Our cocktails, obviously, we we fully focus on um, menus. We 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 obviously make a lot of Irish whiskey drinks. We we champion ourselves and 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 then what we also focus on is our trifecta. So the trifecta is the best in class or the best in class serves of Irish whiskey and the best in class serves of Irish whiskey cocktails. We hyper focus on those four things. Um, and I believe that puts us in, a, in a, an amazing place of, of um, an amazing point of difference. But we also take the totality of the uh, we every every element of the experience is important to us, and 
And I think that's what really, it's, we really believe in the, uh, the devil is in the details with every single aspect of, of our app, constantly looking to improve. We're, we're never happy, you know, so I think all those make us different to your standalone pub or operator that maybe has a pub up the street or in mid team to open up the place. They get it to a level that they're comfortable with and then it just stays that way foreseeable future where we're constantly tinkering, improving. We invest heavily into our employees. Um, we into improving the place uh, and they are storytelling. You know, so it's we, we, we're never standing um, and, and we're even doing that right now in terms of Yes, we're closed, but we're we're reopening November one. It's not on outside catering, online events, uh, our merchandise offering, delivery. You know, each one of those things that we're entering into, we're entering in to do to do the best that we possibly can. I think we're we're always going to be. I'm not really concerned about different ourselves, uh, so to speak. It's it's more. Uh, Right now, it's making sure we don't make any stick decisions, um, yeah. and and we're we're smart we're smart with everything that we do. But the dead rabbit is a very uh, a robust model, so I'm I'm confident we will be able to weather it. Tight, albeit a lot of things are out, out of our our hands in terms of the spread of the virus and and federal decisions. You know, they're just outside of our remit. So, and obviously, the results have paid off. You guys won best bar in the world twice in 2015 2016 you've certainly been recognized you know for your cocktail making and things like that uh like i said youngest ever to win international bartender of the year what i'm just curious when you start to receive those kinds of accolades and awards how does that impact uh you professionally like where do you go from there or i mean how do your goals change so for me um, and I believe speaking on both of behalf of, 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 of myself, you know, I think the bar where, where we had it before we closed, it was the best bar has ever been. So when you look at those awards, now that with a bit of maturity, I was very awards were, were obviously, uh, when they, when they came my way and, and, and our way. And I thought of my ego in winning those awards, to be perfectly honest with you, it's, it's Listen, the awards have been been hugely beneficial in terms of either the project. So first of all, you have to acknowledge that from from, from the get go. But they're not to me. They're they're nice, but they're not the reason why you do what you want to do. Um, and and after we won those awards, uh, I I never really acknowledged those awards. You know, you, you we won those awards, and the youngest recipient in the bar won two years in a row and stuff like that. Matter. Um, what matters is like what you do that day and the next day. And the bar we had, we had it to a great place. But even with the shutdown, I didn't want to waste the opportunity afforded in terms of like we've got all this time now to really focus on tightening our system. They were starting to look at scaling the company, so all the systems that we need to have in, in place facilitate that growth at a at a great level. Um, so we're looking at that. We're looking at our, our we're looking at things that we've wanted to change from a maintenance perspective. So I were you 100% to, to better ourselves. I, I I've just taken on a I I, I left my, my further education behind the pursue pursue obviously the dead rabbit, but focus so exclusively on the operational side of the business. Um, I've 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 enrolled in an under administration course and. With my with my, uh, with my ultimate goal of getting into an next year to year and a half, and and that's all to do with. I know Sean's a brilliant storyteller and a great um, strategist, so to speak. But I I definitely want to help in terms of all the other underland to facilitate that type of growth, because one thing that we've noticed are sort of scaled in two different cities in different countries, but they're they they peel in and into the, the, the motherships, um, mm-hmm. so, so, so to speak. And I want to make sure that when we have a dead rabbit in Orleans or we have a dead rabbit in, in Charleston or we have a dead rabbit in Boston or where I want to make sure that that's a coherent, uniform, consistent product. And I also want to make sure that we don't lose our edge because there, there's, there's definitely a flip, like the C word, the corporate, type word in terms of like you lose your innovation you lose your edge and i both those things are 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 are, are balanced so that's really where my full focus is Uh, and sean's obviously focused on 
on his stuff with with the brand side of things, um, and our and our our partners are focused on other aspects of of operations. But that's that's really really where my where my head that I want to keep improving New York. I want to open the other the other venues and and keep. Ultimately, I want Dead Rabbit to be the biggest Irish pub company in America, and and hopefully becoming in 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 the world. But it's that that in and of itself isn't the goal, isn't the same bigger goal is I want every city to have an authentic Irish Irish pub, particularly in America because there's not a lot of uh, authentic McSorleys that type of pub in in in, in each city um, and we have goals that underlie that in terms of we want fish whiskey we want to we want to really promote Ireland as a country you know a lot of things that we we're hoping to achieve. And as I said, at the start of this podcast, I, I very much view mice as in day one um, of our, of our journey here. I still think we have a lot of things to do, grow and a lot of ways to improve. The job's just never done. <laughs> Get it into, uh, you know, some more serious or more serious type topics. I actually came across an article yesterday morning about uh, the emotional toll of COVID on the hospitality and everything. You actually had some great quotes and suggestions in it, uh, you know, trying to help people stay because now that they're closed in and quarantined, stay kind of mentally fit and, you know, feel like they're not alone. Upstate where I live in the Albany, Troy area, uh, things are probably as close to normal as they can be at the moment. Obviously people are still, you know, you go out, you wear masks, the social distance and thing, but bars and restaurants are open for in and outside dining. It'll be interesting to see once the weather gets cold, how they try to supplement the outdoor stuff when you can't do it because of snow and cold. But uh, what's the situation down there? Are you guys still only outdoor in the city? Yeah. So we're, we're, we're exclusively at the moment now. There's there seems to be uh, more of a uh, lot of operators now uh, advocating to address the indoor scenario. See, there's a uh, without getting too political, there's there's definitely uh, hesitancy from Governor Cuomo and obviously Mayor De Blasio, um, and there's obviously an element of understand from a from a health perspective, but I think they need to establish a date in the city of indoor resumption of indoor so that we can all work toward um, in terms of uh, addressing the air quality, addressing the standard operating procedures that are necessary opening the indoor. Um, because I, I feel like if, if we don't get to that point, there's going to be a study out that they're, they're, they're surmising that two thirds of uh, bars and restaurants in the city could close and, I, I don't think that that I think that it could be, that could be even higher. Um, now we're only indoor. That's due to lapse or outdoor. That's due to lapse in in uh, um, 31. And as you said, it's going to get colder, so that'll become less and less for 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 people. So as much as I'm pressure on the on the decision makers, it's still not. I I can see they're indoor for the rest of the year, um, but we might get 25 50 percent. I, I I just don't know the bars and restaurants will be. Uh, unfortunately, if there is an up, uptick in the in the spread, the the very first things to to shut down just because of the transmissibility of the of the virus in public spaces. So it's not looking. Things aren't looking super clear when when indoors going to resume. Yeah. Um, and we can't do outdoor because we're right outside the the front of the building. So we've been pretty handicapped in both of those ways. But as I said, the opening. November one, uh, at least from a delivery to go online events, uh, merchandise perspective, just to keep the brand uh, um, and and keep our essential employee. I mean, all of our employees are essential, particularly our leadership to keep them engaged and keep ourselves engaged um, because we've been said March sixteenth, and I think we need to we need to do something just to to, to get up out of bed. I know you're a big mental health advocate, right? From some of the stuff I've seen. Yeah, huge. Online. Tell me about restaurant recovery. I'm super curious about that and how that came to be. Because uh, I imagine that's yeah, going to so play a role now more than ever. It does. And unfortunately, uh, restaurant recovery didn't. So we, this, it was a, a husband and wife had started the, 
a non-profit and it was something that I, I still to this day am hugely above. But the, the big difficulty, so first and foremost, I had my own issues and, and obviously still do. To the, I've, I've got to a point now that I can I can work through and, and sort of get through with it, with um, with the tools and stuff that I've developed. However, when I when I came through the other stuff, I wanted to raise visibility and, and sort of destigmatize the compound mental health because I think there was a lot of uh, awkwardness and, and, and that type of stuff around it from the rooftops regarding my experience. And restaurant recovery, yeah, I thought I had to start connecting the dots of and I, 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 we still have yet to figure this out as a, as a, because they think now our industry is in a good place in terms of if a bartender or server or a general manager or a, a dishwasher is experiencing some, some type of, of, of health issue, we can now talk about it. I, I feel like we've got to that place where we're, we're definitely on the way to destigmatizing. Unfortunately, however, because of the the the, the, the way that uh, industry is set up over here in terms of insurance and that type of stuff, most of our do not have health insurance. Now there is again, there's without being too political, there's arguments on whether that should be from a federal level, a state level, or a people who 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 covers that. Um, and that's uh, that's a whole other conversation. But from a Europe health was just it's just a given like you've got your health insurance sorted. Yeah. so for me um definitely wanted to connect the dots in terms of it's great that we can talk about it that's great but and talk about it getting the support that you need and in, in order to facilitate that that journey towards being covered or or maintaining your recovery and that's what restaurant recovery was for. ran into many obstacles in terms of actually extracting money uh, from people in order the initiatives that we that we needed to do so so that's fallen to to the wayside and you, you've we've, we've there's some organizations that have helped to talk about like your sleep and and more kind of proactiveness in terms of yourself your diet your body your mind but i still think that there's a niche and i if somebody uh addresses this and attacks it with full vigor, uh, connecting those dots because there definitely is a like we can talk about it, but in terms of getting the help, fortunately it's not as fluid as it it, it ought to be. Um, mm-hmm. So it's something that I definitely hope we can we can industry because we have we've lost too many people to 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 the bar and restaurant. It's a it's a an environment ramp ripe for this type of uh, problem. Yeah, it's. Um... Obviously, it's not something the casual bar goer ever thinks of, just, you know, going to get a drink, having, you know, a friendly chat with your bartender or things like that. Like I said, I'm not sure where, what publication the article I read was in, but it's fascinating when you think about it. Like That is those people's social interaction pretty much, you know, most of the yeah. time they're awake. Totally. So thinking of them being alone in quarantine can really cause some setbacks to, you know, people that have been doing well yeah. and things like that. So, you know, it's important to reach out to everyone and try to keep in touch. Like I said, you had some great suggestions, just trying to occupy the mind or things, even Zoom meetings, like, <laughs> as I point out, we're on Zoom. But uh, Yeah, I mean, I think everybody, everybody's... I think everybody at this point is fatigued um, with the whole pandemic, um, and that's obviously understandable. From like we've we've now had six months of of this sort of no end in sight, but the, like obviously the virus isn't getting fatigued very much there, and um, it's something that we need to be cognizant of and 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 aware of our behaviour. But this this year, like I, I a lot of I I think I gave that into for the. Again, not to get political, but you have the, obviously the massive social unrest in the country, and you have the the whole political kind of uh, environment. So, I think the I think a lot. I think a, I, I think I don't even think we're aware of of the long term uh, consequences of this shutdown are, are going to be even at this at this stage. I think it's going to be another another year. So, another, yeah. I, I'm I'm am I'm very much excited. Not that I take any pleasure in what's happening right now, but I'm excited to watch the documentary on the pandemic in five to 10 years, how it all kind of shook out because like the, there's so much rewiring happening with the way the people are in and 
so many things that we'd we'd never thought we we would end up where we're doing right now. Keen to see how a lot of this how a lot of this works out. And even with being social, like working social with people is a muscle, and most of us haven't exercised that muscle in a long time. And and that's going to there is I I can't see how there wouldn't be an uptick in, in mental health problems because of that. Um, yeah, I'm intrigued to see how it all how it all uh, how it all plays out. You know. You know the first thing that's going to happen. There'll be a movie about it, uh, not necessarily a documentary, but yeah. someone will sign on the rights. It, it's not going to take long. You know, as yeah. soon as Hollywood's back up and running, that's going to be one of the first things. There's yeah. going to be a lot of pandemic movies, I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I got bored, quickly got bored of watching. I think there was only the two on the contagion. And so I think we're in, we're definitely in need of, uh, of some more uh, pandemic movies, but I, I think I think on our feet when we've got this vaccine, I think we'll we'll be good on a movie because we all lived it for for. Yeah, those. Hopefully, we can. You know, that part that point's not that far away. But uh, let's get back to some yeah, happier stuff. I hope so the Dead Rabbits currently closed. Yeah. You guys are reopening November first, as you touched on. Uh, you've touched on a few things. So, what can people yeah. expect? Is it going to be takeout? Is it the online store is still open? Of course, for people when it comes yeah. to so, merch and stuff like that. Yeah, so what the the guests that to the space can expect is actually to get in the space. Um, we will obviously limit the occupancy, but you'll come in. We're going to repurpose our our front top room. Our original is just not conducive to the, the CDC or the NY State uh, regulations of distancing. So we'll repurpose that as our merchandise store where we'll sell our T-shirts, books, bags, Whatever, like all the stuff that we sell will be done from there and we'll have a bartender to go pint of Guinness or to go Irish coffee or to go cocktails that we, we have created so you can get your mix of, of Dead Rabbit experience. Um, so we'll have that. Um, we will also have our delivery open so we're going to deliver our food and our to-go drinks to uh, Brooklyn Bridge on the east and the, and, and, and the west side. So then I think there will be a demand for that, obviously, as we're getting into the colder months and the the, the lower is going to lapse and there's a potential for the indoor not to reopen. So there will be a demand for delivery. Oh, yeah, but absolutely. If they, allow ind- uh, yeah, if they allow indoor, obviously indoor stuff, um, at whatever occupancy they, they, they stipulate. Um, other things that we're doing, we're going to do outside catering um, because I imagine – family events and uh, events for whatever group of people want to do those things that, that from their favorite bars or from their favorite restaurants so we we can cater those um so we can su- supply the drinks to to that party and we can build we have an option built in that it can be execute tenders or our our servers um and then we're also doing a a online dance program so i foresee that a lot of the big buildings I obviously this all chance to the, the the pandemic and how things spread, but I think a lot of the big buildings around here and the that are, are we we do an awful lot of events business with, um, their their parties will potentially going to live in a virtual uh, format. So we've mm-hmm. come up with a uh, three reasons one, which is a cor- corporate cocktail party where they can pick iconic Dead Rabbit drinks, four iconic Dead Rabbit drinks from our menu. We'll send them all the ingredients, and then we'll do a Zoom session some night, where oh, wow. we'll talk them through making the drinks and 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 do that type of thing. That's awesome session, which is classic. Yeah, so we're excited. It's I think we we could do well from it, but uh, obviously enriching for for our customers. Um, we have another one which is a classic one, um, um, which is focused on co- uh, sorry customers who are making cocktails at home, but they don't have the they they haven't been able to make their favorite or their Manhattan or their martini or old fashioned. So we'll get on and make those drinks from our recipes to show them what that actually looks like, and and uh, we'll we'll go through that for for sixty to ninety. We have another one that is geared on Irish whiskey and the Irish coffee. So we'll go through the history of things, um, and also we will send miniatures of all the components of the. And a and a Irish coffee set, so we'll do a guided tasting of the different styles, and then at the end of the session, we'll make an Irish coffee with with the participants and the 
set. We're going to do that. We're going to do those the, the, the later two. Uh, we're going to do those once a month over, and we're going to be announcing these in, in the beginning of uh, of next week. We wanted to give people, I think a lot of people will be starting to think about these Thanksgiving, Christmas type events now yeah. after we put it away. So we're going to announce so that, that program in next week. So I think that the online virtual events, the, the outside catering, uh, the delivery, some indoor stuff, I think with that, we'll be in a position to reconnect with our customers and also pay carrying. We're carrying fairly significant chunk of debt right now that we need to start buying. Um, so I think that will enable us to start that type of program, that that approach will enable it to pay down a significant portion of that by the end of the year. So I'm excited, I'm excited about it. Awesome. That, uh, that actually sounds like some pretty aw- amazing stuff. I love the idea of, you know, yeah. having the ingredients and then getting a virtual lesson and how I should be making it as opposed yeah. to just pouring in a bunch of booze and a splash of club soda or something like that. <laughs> well, keep a, keep an eye on our social and you'll, once we're ready, you'll be able to partake in one of these sessions yourself. I will. Yeah. I'll definitely have to keep an eye out for that as well as the millions of listeners out there that'll hear this. Uh, I I am curious obviously you came up through the hospitality industry in Ireland there really learning the basics and honing your skills what were like were there any surprise differences when you came to the states you know the way things were done differently that kind of really surprised you yeah I mean my bartending uh, well from a customer perspective was it was vastly different the customer I don't know if this is I, I, I think in most major cities, this is this is the is the first right now. But in terms of moving from Belfast and London to New York, the customers in New York just know so much more educated on their on their cocktails or on their beers or on their wines. They one they want the like you see these wine clubs or these beer clubs, and you know they just much so you, they they know they can sniff out straight away whether you know your stuff or you don't know your stuff. I, I very much knew that you had to be on top of your game in order to to challenge your customers and, and, and present something that is that is uh, exciting for them. So it's something that I realized from the get-go. And the, the, the second thing that made, was made very apparent is that the bar, particularly in, 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 in Belfast and London, the bartenders are pretty proficient, but I wouldn't say they're super, they're not as like, uh, affable or, or hospitable as the bartenders in, 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 in America are and whether that is a is a because of the tipping culture and the bartenders in America are much more engaged delivering that ex- superior experience so that they can get that higher tip um, I don't really know what the ends of the, I, I, the bartenders are what I would call over here they're very much heads up bartenders they're focused on the customer where in, in, in England and, and, and in Ireland, I was very own bartender. I made the drinks. Um, I got the drinks out to a world-class level, but I wasn't necessarily in the customer experience. Hmm. Um, whereas when I came to America and I seen the bartenders like Doug, who worked in PJ Clark's and, and, and obviously I'd been to the sessions with Dale LeGraw, when you see these bartenders in all these different bars, they were their heads are up, they're looking at the room uh, and, and, and the customer's experience and, and that really changed my bartending um, and I became a heads up bartender I became a like I knew as soon as somebody entered the room goodbye was needed or a hello was needed or can I help you um, when the water wasn't at the right level tail had, had dropped below the halfway market to, to check in to see if they wanted another you become much more into the the, the total the totality of the room so it came my my style of bartending coming coming from from Europe to to America for sure. Interesting, I find that fascinating. I actually do because you know only I've only been to bars in America and Canada, <laughs> and I mean Canada's kind of the same, it's, uh, not really that different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're still working on. Are you guys still working on opening the place in New Orleans? I believe I saw not long ago some. Yeah. So we were we were. Uh, we were slated to open that uh, at the, what are we now? We're September. So we were slated to open that up, up in another month from now. Obviously, 
in light of the pandemic, we decided very early on that we did not want to open any type of occupancy restrictions or yeah. or anything like that because you again you've only got a chance to make your 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 first impression. Um, so we put that off until the essentially just put it back a full year to the same period of of next year because I believe we will we will have the back broken at least I think we'll have the vaccine. Most people will be mostly vaccinated. Well, I'm hoping that coronavirus will, by all intents and purposes, be in, uh, in um, and we, we will be in a much better position to, to open it up at, at, at that juncture. We've, so that, that's what we've done with New Orleans, and we're still very much operating on the operating under the assumption that we're, we're doing five, five venues in five years. Um, oh, wow. And locations um, that, that make sense. So... That's that's the plan, right? I'm fully convinced in the plan. I'm convinced in the product and and our business. Um, but obviously, we've had to just delay things in light of of what we're all going. Awesome. Well, like I said, hopefully in a year from now, that's a totally different story, and everything's one hundred percent going forward again. Man, I miss. Well, I miss. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I obviously like. I I miss live shows and concerts and you know just not having to worry about the mask even though yeah. i'm not complaining about it like you know a lot of people but yeah <laughs> well ho- hopefully we can get back to that point so i think that seems like a, a yeah, good place I think to start. So. i think we'll be there soon yeah seems like a good place to start wrapping up i have an antsy dog i think that uh, needs to go out so i think that's gonna do it for this <laughs> i think that's gonna book. yes absolutely Uh, That's going to do it for this episode of Stories from a Bar. Big thank you, Jack. I really appreciate you, you know, taking the time, like I said, to chat with me. Uh, Again, shout out to our mutual friend, Damien, there, who, if it wasn't for Facebook, uh, I don't know if I ever would have connected with him again, because we went years with, of course, not keeping in touch. And then he just randomly friended me on Facebook one day, and I don't remember how it came up. He just mentioned he had a friend in the city that ran a bar. So it had to have been after I started the podcast, which I've been doing for like two and a half years now. Yeah. So shout out to him. Small uh, world. Small world, man. Small world. I appreciate you taking the time, hanging out, sharing some stories. <laughs> it was great. You can first keep thing, up. With, thanks yeah. for having me on. Absolutely. You can keep up with all things Dead Rabbit. Check out their website at deadrabbitnyc.com. Be sure to follow the Dead Rabbit on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, anything else you want to throw in before we close it out? No, I think, I, think, I think you got everything. <laughs> awesome. A uh, big thank you to everyone out there for checking out the show. You can find Stories from a Bar on Facebook. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at StoriesFAB. You'll find episodes of the podcast, of course, on Apple and Google Podcasts, Podbeam, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube. And now also tune in and iHeartRadio. The show's growing, man. The show's growing. So be sure to subscribe. Even more importantly, leave a fantastic review and spread the word. So until next time, cheers.